Hi, and welcome to Transparent with Tina. I am Tina Marks, your host. Today's guest is an author, podcaster, influencer, motivational speaker, and he's known as the real life Wizard of Oz. You're going to find out why. Up next, Steve Sims. Welcome, Steve. That's a pleasure to be here. Thanks smile, for having by me. The way. What's oh, that? thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I'm so glad you're here, and thank you for being so flexible because um, I had to reschedule you. And thank you for being so so uh, flexible. I'm so happy to have you here. So let's get right into it, okay? So you're a no nonsense coach, author, <laughs> podcaster, and you are known to be the the real life wizard of Oz. And that's because you make people's dreams come true. And, you know, I was thinking about that when I was like writing my notes this morning. And I thought to myself, he makes other people's dreams come true. But I think in turn, you make your own dreams come true by making all other people's dreams come true. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it, it, to a point it does. Um, but there's probably a couple of things you need to understand. I'm not the warmest and fuzziest of people in the planet. You know, I don't actually like going to red carpet events. I don't like to go, go into like celebrity parties. And before everyone can like throws their tissues at me, it's not what I want to do. I just ended up doing it because I wanted to surround myself with successful people. I wanted to have the engagement and that the key word there is engagement to be able to walk up to a billionaire and go, hey, I don't mind working hard, but why are you rich and I'm not? And that's what I wanted. Now, out of, out of uh, being able to get that engagement, I became, as you say, what Forbes called me, the real-life Wizard of Oz. But then these clients had wishes and uh, uh, desires, which I then blew a little bit of sim smoke on and made a little bit more fantastical to keep them loyal to me. Um, but along the way, I got up to stuff I would never thought I would have done. I walked through the, the, the papal gardens with the Pope. I've sang a duet with Andrea Bocelli at the feet of Michelangelo's David in a closed-down museum at 10 o'clock at night. I've hung out with Sir Elton John at his Oscar party. I've uh, played drums with Guns N' Roses. I've done stuff beyond what I thought I would ever be possible to do, and it's been a perk of what I do now. Okay, so tell me how that started. I mean, you said you wanted to be around these people. And you're very much like me, by the way. Uh, I, I'm, I'm what's called an introvert extrovert. I didn't yep. realize you could be both. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm secretly happy when the party's canceled. <laughs> but, yep. you know, you have to do what you have to do to get where you want to go in whatever profession it is. So, yep. like, how did this start? I mean, what, what were you doing before this? So I was, I left school at the age of 15. I saw my career counselor just before they kicked me out of school. And my career counselor said, don't even bother applying for college. Waste of time. Good luck. And that was it. I was like, cheers, mate. Um, and I ended up working on a building site. And my dad was the, uh, the guy that was running the, uh, the site. So I'm getting up at four o'clock in the morning, going to work, getting there at six o'clock, coming home at eight o'clock. So I'm cold, wet, bashed around. And I thought to myself, <laughs> and I, was, I remember this moment. I was in a pub one day, and uh, 
I just thought to myself, everyone in this pub is broke. Everyone in this pub can afford two, maybe three beers. I thought to myself, for me to get more out of life, this is not the room I should be in. Now, this was back in the 80s, so I didn't have Instagram to tell me how inadequate my life was. So this was just a gut reaction that I needed to change the room. I needed to change the people I could rely on. I needed to change my, my group, you know, the old five, you know, you are the five people that you're with kind of thing. Um, but I didn't even know that saying then because I wasn't reading books. Um, so I went out to try and educate myself. So I remember I could afford two and a half beers in my pub and then I was done for the night. Mm-hmm. I started hanging out in these places at the time, these trendy places called wine bars, where I could get like an imported beer that was like the same price as my two and a half beers. So now I'm only getting one beer a night, but I'm now getting to watch how people act with each other. Those that pretend they are rich and those that are rich. And I just went out on a journey literally to quench my curiosity as to how people are how people are affluent, how people are successful. And I didn't know how to do it. And so I tried getting jobs that would surround myself with rich people, aircraft broker, yacht broker, um, uh, concierge, all these different things, stockbroker, that would try and get me around rich people, but none of it worked because I didn't fit the jelly mold of bullshit and fluff that you was required to have in those kind of jobs. Mm-hmm. And so the funny break came was I was working on the door of a nightclub and I had a bunch of rich guys come in and I just said to them, there's a club just up the road. I said, you, you know, that I, I didn't hear that. What'd you say? There's a club just up the road. Okay. And it's, and it's an opening night. I thought you would have been there. And they were like, Oh, we can't get in. And I thought, why can't you? You know, you're good looking. You've got money. You know, you, you, you've got everything necessary to be in this place. Why can't? So I literally just jogged up the road, met up with a buddy of mine that I knew because I was on the door and, you know, we knew each other. I said, i got four guys at my club. They should be in your club. And he went, send them up. I said, they got money. They got a black card. My first time I ever saw an Amex black card. I went, they got a black card. So I was even boasting about it. And he was like, Send them up here. We'll have a booth for them. So I went down back to the guys. I went, guys, I've got you in. They were like, really? And I thought, I wonder if I could push it one step further. So I went, yeah, that'll be 100 bucks each. And they just went, problem, Steve. And they threw the money down. And I realized then that people weren't paying to get into somewhere. They were paying to avoid the disappointment of getting turned away. None of them wanted to be the guy at the front of the queue going, hey, we've got four of us, can we get in? And then they'd be in t- So I suddenly became that, that, that conduit, that light switch between humiliation and access. Right. And I started charging people for it. Then I started throwing my own parties. Then I started getting people into other people's parties. And it just grew. But all the time, I wanted to surround myself with rich people because I knew that at one time there would be a, okay, I've got enough information now. I can go out on my own 
I launched my own widget, my own PayPal, my own something. I didn't. I ended up launching the world's uh, most successful experiential concierge, you know, getting people, as I said, you know, married by the Pope or sent them down to the Titanic or playing piano with Elton John. I became the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. Um, and then I released my book, and now I coach and train people how they can do it themselves. So let me ask you a question. So you, 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 you got in this to be, so you, you said, first of all, you were hanging around your buddies at, at the pubs and you started to realize they weren't going anywhere. So that was yep. probably, you know, for, first you worked for your dad, you know, that, that wasn't appealing. You were like, I'm working way too hard for no money. Then, yep. you know, the second thing you said was surrounding yourself with these people that weren't going anywhere either. And I totally identify with that. And I want, I really want everybody to get that. And it's not like you feel like you felt like you were superior to them, but you had bigger dreams than they did. And you know what? You are who you surround yourself by. I've said this a couple of times last year, I had to let go of many, many people. And it was a very lonely year because of COVID. I was really pretty much by myself, but I just threw myself into my work. And now things are opening up and I'm being surrounded. I'm being gifted with other like-minded people into the areas that I, just people that want to move forward, have found their purpose, want to help other people. So, so, you know, some of these things, you know, the things that I have listed is jamming with celebrity recording artists, walking uh, a role on a hit TV show, private cooking lessons, singing live on stage with rock uh, band journey. Are those your experiences or are those the experiences that you got your clients? Those are the experiences I got my client. And the way that it works is like the client, you mentioned journey. I had a client that wanted to meet the rock band journey. Okay. And I said, so, so what do you want to do? He said, I want to meet him. I want to shake their hand. And I was like, is that it? Is that really as far as you can dream? You know, you can buy a small country like England with your bank balance, and that's as far as you're willing to dream. And I was amazed at how many people limit, limit their dreams. So he wanted to meet the rock band because he didn't think anything was anything more than that was possible. So I got in touch with the band. I, you know, used my smooth debonair skills and ended up getting him live to sing on stage five, four tunes as the shortest term lead singer of the rock band journey. He literally went up on stage, sang, played guitar and belt without four tunes. He was pretty impressive. Well, wait a minute. So how far, I mean, because you make this sound, oh, just have my smooth skills, okay? So <laughs> my family's in the entertainment business. It is just not, I mean, it's not even that easy to break into my brother who's like, you know, a, a top music agent, okay? I, I ask him for something. He's like, get in line. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm family. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I let's hear, I mean, first of all, how far in your career when you started doing things like that? And what did you do to get this? I mean, you, how, how did you get the, you know, the manager, whoever it was, to get on the phone with you to accept, I mean, accept this? Well, for a start, you don't. The, the easy answer to that is you don't. I don't want a manager and I don't want an agent. Um, so basically, you can't get on the roof of your building unless you climb up a ladder. So in the early stages, it was smaller celebrities I was working with. It was smaller access before it grew up into, you know, Elton John's Oscar party and uh, the Cannes Film Festival and Monaco Grand Prix. So it was a stepping stone up there. 
But then what happens when you get into that room? Is that connected? And then those, pe those people that you're now working with become access to other wonderful things. Um, and the, the thing with Journey, you say about your brother being an agent, no disrespect to agents, but they should basically be at the same place the lawyers are. Wait, say, that again, say that again, because you cut out. You cut um, out. Say that they again. They want the dollars. What's that? Oh, I say, oh, you, you, want, you want a soundbite this for your brother, don't you? Um, no, no, I seriously, you cut, you cut out. Now I want to hear what you said. <laughs> I said that agents should really be in the same kind of place as lawyers, you know, at the bottom of the seabed somewhere. Right. Um, because what an agent and a manager wants is the dollars. You seduce an agent and manager by populating the checkbook with more zeros. Okay. That's how you get an agent to go, yes, throw more money at the point. If they say no, throw more money at it, more money, more. An agent will not decline when the, when the number starts making big enough, okay? Mm -hmm. But the talent that basically is getting residuals of a million bucks a month, they don't care. In fact, if you want to be told to go, you know, fudge yourself by a celebrity then all you do is you walk up to them and go, hey, how much will it cost for me for you to do this? Right. And they turned off. Because no celebrity wants to be a commodity. No celebrity or talent or anyone of profile wants to become a prostitute. You know, they don't want to do it. So the reason that they will do something is because of the impact it generates. And that's the key thing there. You go to an agent, just give them your checkbook and tell them to fill in the numbers. That's as much as the conversation's got to be. But if you want Elton John to open up his door to you, if you want the rock band Journey to open up their door, Andrea Bocelli, the Pope, if you want these people to start doing stuff with you, give them a reason. Okay. Okay. Huh? And so, so, so what would that reason be? So... I will give it to you in all my manipulative skills. So when my client wanted to meet the rock band Journey, I interviewed my client. I found out a little bit more of his family dynamic. Who was in his family? What did he have? And he mentioned to me that his brother's son was autistic. He just mentioned it to me. Okay? I'm making notes about everything, you know? I knew the name of the dog. I knew about the name of the dog that died 10 years ago. I made all of these notes because you never know when something's going to be a trigger. Now, if we talk about triggers, how many times do you drive down the road, you're in the car, and a certain song comes on, and you're no longer in the car? You're at the beach with your first love. You're having that dance. You, it's just, you know, the first night, you know, whatever. But some, it transfer, those triggers are powerful, aren't they? Right, right. They're totally powerful. Even if they're negative, even if something happened when that tune was on, you know, or you see someone in a car and you remember you were involved in a car crash that had that car involved. So triggers are powerful, both positive and negative. So I'm taking a note of all of these, these details because I never know if any of them are going to be a trigger. Then I start using this little creature. And for any of you that can't see this, it's called a phone. Most people have them. And so I started Googling the rock band journey. And I started searching for their triggers. Okay. 
And one of the tricks I have, when you're trying to get a celebrity or anyone of profile, Google the name, but then go to images. Because the images will tell you where they are. It'll show you the events they're at. Now, you go to Journey, and hey, it's loads of pictures of them in concert until scrolling through, like, the ninth page, there was a picture of the drummer speaking at an Autism Speaks Foundation. I knew you were going there. I knew you were going there. So I was like, bingo. So I did a little bit more Googling. Now, specific to the drummer and autism, and guess what? His son's autistic, okay? So then what I did was I did a bit of sculpting to get into the, to the, to the band by having other talent that I've worked with introduce me directly to the talent. And in the phone call I had, I had a roadie that was a good friend of my mates, the drummer, and I think the guitarist. It wasn't the lead guitarist, but two members of the band and a roadie, okay? Mm. And I said to him, I said, look, guys, I said, I don't want to take up too much of your time. But and I don't even know if you're aware of this, but I don't know if you've ever come across something called autism. Of course, I knew they had, you know, I move with purpose. I don't do anything by accident. Mm -hmm. The phone line goes a bit quiet. Uh, Why ask that question? I said, look, it's not important. Conversation. I've got a client that wants to do something with you. And of course, he'll put money into it and you'll have all that kind of... But I want to do something bigger. I want to get my client to have this experience with you. I can talk about that in a second. But I want to shrink wrap this experience around a foundation called Autism Speaks. And I want to use my client's experience with the world's greatest rock band. Doesn't hurt to blow a bit of smoke every now and then. Um... And at the same time, raise the profile of this charity that does amazing work for autism. I said, I don't know if that's a charity near and dear to your heart. And to be honest with you, it doesn't matter if it is, because it's near and dear to mine, and it's near and dear to my clients. Right. Bingo. Drama starts talking. You know, you you, you say that you're manipulative. I'm thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, is it manipulative or is it just really doing your research? And you know the answer. You know, I'm playing with it, but the bottom line of it is that the more successful, the more profile, any of those people, they have less time. They realize how little time they have in the day. So whenever right. they do anything, they want, it, they, they want there to be a point, you know? You getting a selfie with someone, ha, gives a shit. If you can help that favorite charity, help, like if I came to you and I went, hey, we don't know each other, but I know a way that I can get your podcast into seven times the amount of distribution that it's currently got, would that be of interest? Yes, it would. And thank you for for asking. You're more than welcome. (laughs) The reason is I showed up with a purpose that benefits you before I went into it. Now, Before you asked. If you rewind this podcast, I spoke to Journey and I said, I have a client that wants to do something, but before I get into that, I want to talk about how I, and so I, I told them right up front, hey, I'm going to be asking for something, but let's not focus on that at the moment. Focus on this. Right. And that was the thing that I knew would interest them. So do your homework, do your research, step up to someone. And here's the key word. If you want a soundbite out of this, 
here it is. Turn up to someone as a solution rather than a sale. That's the key. It would, would it be the same as I tell my clients, you know, go through life with a, uh, as, as the pitcher, not the catcher. So ask what you can do first instead of asking for whatever it is you want. Because, well, people, I, you know, that old saying, people don't care how much you know or what you're yeah. offering unless they know that you care, right? So that's what you're doing first. You're going to them, offering them something before you're asking for something in return. Yeah, I believe there's a, there's a slight double whammy there, okay? Because if I, start, if I start helping you a lot, and again, this is not rocket science. This is so simple and stupid. Just people out there have decided that they're not going to do it, and I don't know why that is. But if I tell you right at the beginning, hey, Tina, I need something from you. I need to be on a show of yours, or I've got a client of mine that wants to be on a show of yours. Hey, but before we get into that, I want to talk to you about this. I've already declared You've got quickly, the- I've got it out. Hey, I'm asking you for something. Well, let's not focus on that at the moment. Focus on this. Right. So what you do is quickly get the ask or the position of the ask out of the way. So they know that you're coming. Yeah. Okay. So they're not suspicious. They know you're going to ask them for something. But then you focus on all the value that you're bringing to the party. Okay. Right. And they go, Jesus Christ, this guy's going to get me there. He's going to do this. He's going to raise that. He's going to do this. Is, yeah, I love Hey, Steve, sorry. What was it that you wanted me to do with that fellow of yours? Right. And that's the conversation. And, and, now, and now they're open to the idea because you've already brought the value to them. Exactly. Bingo. So how long did it get you to get where you are? I mean, did you ever feel like quitting? What was like your worst experience? Did you ever get to a point going... You know, I mean, this isn't working. I'm tired of the door being slammed in my face. Or was it just kind of a home run from the beginning? Well, no, because it's only a failure when you stop. Okay. Prior to that, it's an education. All right. So I would go up to someone and go, hey, I really need to get in there. And they'd be like, get lost, slam. And I'd be like, hmm, how could that have gone better? You know, how could I? And I noticed very early on two things. One. If you get a no, you're either asking the wrong person or the wrong question, okay? Just because the valet boy is parking cars at the Oscars doesn't mean he's got the power to get you into the Oscars. Right. So you're asking the wrong person. He can't say yes. He has no authority. So you're either asking the wrong person or the wrong question. And the second thing I noticed very early on, is never ask a question that has liability of an answer that you don't want. Exactly. Never ask a question you don't want to hear the answer to. So if I said to you, Tina, hey, Tina, me and you, tomorrow night, let's have dinner. You could turn around and go, no. You wouldn't, because I'm a nice guy, and we'd have a great night. You know we would. (laughs) But, you know, it would be better if I turned around and said, hey, Tina, I know you're free tomorrow night. Should we have dinner at 7.30 or 8.30? Yeah, I'm now getting options of which either one, hey, I'm fine with. It's not a, it's not a yes or no answer. It's a no. well, yes, exactly. So now, did you start it off? Steve, did you did you have any kind of sales training, or was this like learning as you go, or is this innate ability? What is this? I mean, so, so I'm an Irish I'm an Irish guy from East London, and you're if what? You're an Irish boy from East London. Okay, so. Yeah. 
if I said the wrong thing to the wrong person, I knew it because I got a smack in the nose. And so you kind of, you kind of learn your way around of how cheeky you can be, you know, how, how much of a wise guy you can be before, before, you know, the fists go flying. So you kind of learn that kind of stuff. And what I was amazed at, and this is what I really found when I tried all those affluent jobs. Do you remember I said to you at the beginning that I tried becoming a jet broker and a yacht broker and all? I, I found that people, as soon as they started working for affluent people, two things happened. One, they became British, which I thought was the funniest thing in the world. And I know it sounds funny, but do you remember when you'd walk into somewhere and all of a sudden there'd be some guy and they'd be like, oh, good afternoon, sir. How are you? It's such a beautiful day. Please come on in. They, all, they sounded like the butler off a Downton Abbey. They just... <laughs> They suddenly put on this accent. That was one thing I noticed. And the second thing I noticed was the, the difference between a rich person and a poor person is dollar signs. Okay? How they get there, that mindset, that's all different. But just because someone's rich, it does not mean that they are smarter than you. It means they were opportunist with certain things. They were good at a couple of things that they monetized the shit out of, right. and they did really, really well. But for the rest of their life, that's just as bad as, as you, or even worse. And as I started trying to work with these people, I would get told, Steve, Steve, you can't talk to rich people like that. And I'd be like, why can't you? No, 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 they don't talk like that. Who says? What book says? Right, as soon as you made a million bucks, you don't say the word F. You don't, you don't go to the toilet anymore. You don't do that. You know, as soon as you're a millionaire, you don't do any of those things. Bullshit. So I noticed that very early on. And I noticed that when we go, and you'll, you'll probably remember you say about your family being in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. When someone meets a celebrity, look at that body language. And you can watch this on TV because this is what happens. They bow. Yeah, It's the most insane thing in the world. Yes. But yes. you walk up to someone that you want to be friends with because they're rich, because they're powerful, because they're successful. And the first thing you do is stick them on a pedestal and distance themselves from you by pow- bowing to them. Right. For me, I'm like, why are we doing this? So I would literally just talk to people regardless of the dollar signs, as though I was literally having a beer with him. Tina, what do you want done? How can I help you this weekend? That was it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I remember one guy telling me a joke once, and I said to him, it is a damn good job that you're a genius in other areas, because you are a shit comedian. And I was, you know, just being cheeky with him. And he said to me, that joke has had people laughing all day in every room that I've been in. And I went, eh, were they laughing at the joke or were they laughing because it came from you? And that's what happens. They don't get the truth. So when I would turn up, I didn't try to, but suddenly I became refreshing. Yes. Because I would call people out on their shit. And you said to me, or you asked one of the questions, how long did it take before I, you know, to become successful at this. Yeah. 
Well, here's a funny thing. I was now doing this for about seven years, and I was constantly pushing the envelope, constantly trying to see the, how my, how can I get into the you know the rich ones? How can I get into the rich Koreans? How can I get into the biggest events in the world? And I had a deal with this little unknown car company called Ferrari, and I was part of the Ferrari Formula One event for 1997. Now, for a lot of people, 1997 means nothing to a lot of people. 1997 was the 50th anniversary of Ferrari. It was like the holy grail, because none of us are going to be around for the 100th. So this was like, wow, they had these massive parties in, in Monaco. And I was the guy that was in charge of a lot of these things. And I said to my wife, seven years. Now, I've got a little footnote here. I met my wife when she was 16 and I was 17. Picked her up on the back of a shitty old motorcycle, and I still pick her up on motorcycles now 35-plus years later. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. But during this time, I was so busy building up my network that I wasn't looking at what ground I was, I was gathering. I wasn't looking at how far I'd become, you know? Uh, right. It was still as fresh as the first day I tried this. And we were on our, we were living in Switzerland at the time, Geneva, and I was about to drive down to Monaco to host three days of events with the richest people in the planet. And I uttered to my wife, when this is over, then I'll start looking at, at getting a job, Claire. You know, we, we'll start getting some stability and we, we'll look at doing this. And, you know, don't worry. I, I think I've got enough traction now, you know? She walks off out of the office. She comes back in with a bunch of papers. She throws the papers down on the desk. She says, these are the transactions into our bank account in the last four months. She said, we're living in a penthouse that we paid a year up front because we moved into a new country where we had no credit. We just paid for the penthouse a year up front, okay? We've never missed a payment on anything. We have cars, we have bikes. She said, You've already got your job. Why have you been so busy building up your network to use that network to get a job? You built your own industry. And that was the time, the late 90s, that we actually coined Bluefish as the concierge firm and became the world's most successful experiential concierge firm all the way up. We ended up working with uh, Naris, the Grammys, uh, Elton John, Kentucky Derby, Formula One, Palm Beach uh, um, uh, Art Festival, the, um, the Chicago Art Fair, LA Fashion Week, just the stuff. You wouldn't believe the kind of stuff that we've been involved in um, by literally demanding that we only work with the richest people in the planet. Right. So that's, that's the other thing. I mean, you set an intention from the very, very beginning. You never wavered. You had the intention, you had the action, and you had the consistency. And I really think those three things really lead you to success. You know, but there are people that would say, you know, not, not everybody is, you know, has, like, I certainly didn't. I, it took me a long time to get self-esteem. Um, I, I didn't feel like I was capable of anything. Because, you know, I had a father that told me I couldn't, you know, I wasn't worthy. I couldn't do that. What would you say to somebody like that to get out of the starting gate? You know, I mean, that, that wasn't as spicy as you and that, you know, 
So, you know, because a lot of people, when their teacher told them at 15 years old, don't even bother to go to college. I mean, a lot of people would really take that to heart and, and, and say, you know what that means? I don't equal a lot. Um, is there, is there something else you rely on, Steve? Is there like, do you believe in God? Do you believe in the universal laws of attraction? Do you, anything like that? Wow. That was a bigger question than I expected. Okay, so let's break it down on a few things. Um, the only one that it matters when you hear that you can't do something is yourself. If you say, I can't do this, hey, you're right. But the second you stare at me and you go, you can't do that, Steve, you've just put nitro fuel in my fuel tank. Right. Okay, so, that, the, so that's a good thing. So the, the, the career guy that said you'll never amount to anything, the guys in the pub that jeer at you because you're going to go and try and get a job and you board your mate's suit because you don't have a suit, those guys that laugh at you, they're fueling you, okay? So that was one thing, but, but that's a mindset. But let's break it down another way that I think will be a lot easier for a lot of people. For anyone that can't see this, now this is this podcast, is this being videoed or is it audio only? Both. both. No, it's both. it's both. All right. So any of you delectable morsels out there that aren't lucky enough to be able to see this, I ain't Brad Pitt, okay? When I worked on the door, I was perfectly built to work on the door. I'm 245 pound of ugly. Bald head, goatee beard, piercings, tattoos, I ride only motorcycles. I'm the perfect guy you don't want to see in a, in a dark alley at 11 o'clock at night, okay? I'm not the guy that you think has the black cards and the titanium cards for the richest people in the planet. Mm -hmm. But I noticed something very, very early on. If I had to sell you something, I had to create aspiration. I had to create a, a dream, a, hey, if you buy this, you'd have made it. Look at all the jewelry brands in the planet today. So if you buy this Rolex, oh, well, all the most successful people in the world have a Rolex. It's aspirational marketing, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. How much marketing is spent on your Advil or your headache tablets? None. Why? Because one is solution-based and the other one is aspirational-based. And the trouble about aspiration is it's, it's liquid. You know, what is aspiration? Is it the entry-level Porsche? Is it a, you know, a, a diamond-encrusted Rolls-Royce? You know, what is aspiration? There's too many different variables as to what your idea of made it is compared to me. I sit here, you'll never see me in a black t-shirt, uh, in anything other than a black t-shirt and jeans. I don't have a car. I collect motorcycles. And I'm totally happy. Mm -hmm. I believe I've made it because I'm living a life where I am me. And there's no apology required for that. When I started turning up to people going, hey, I believe you have a need. You know, I believe your daughter wants to do this with John Mayer. I believe so-and-so wants to do this with Scottie Pippen. I believe you want to go and, uh, down and see the Titanic. I believe you want to go and uh, sing with Tony Braxton in Venice. Let us get that sorted for you. I became a solution. Now, I was very unconfident, very unconfident. And you say about this introvert, I'm a big lump 
that you notice when he walks into a room. And I'm an introvert that doesn't like the attention. Mm-hmm. Those two things together, they, they, you can't help yourself. It's like being the blue elephant in the room. You don't want people to look at you, but the bloody gun it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I didn't like that, but I noticed the second I became a solution, I didn't have to worry about the rest of it. Yeah. Again, think of your headache tablet. When you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you've got a raging headache and you go to the kitchen cabinet and you get your headache tablets, when was the last time you looked at the, uh, the bottle and went, no, nah, I don't like that logo? You, you absolutely... But if someone brings you a piece of jewellery and it comes in the blue bag and you undo the ribbon and there's the blue box and there's another ribbon and you undo it, that's aspirational marketing. They've got to puff that value up, you know? So that's the difference. So if you're worried about confidence, just focus. Are you solving someone's problem? If you are a solution, they will not care how big, small, fat, thin, green, black, purple... None of that stuff becomes irrelevant when you can solve someone's problem. And for me, I openly say, I give you better cocktail stories via your checkbook. That was it. That's what I used to do. And now with entrepreneurs, I train entrepreneurs how to get the clients they deserve, not the clients they've been getting. Right. Exactly. And we're going to hear about that right after this short break. This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something great for your body. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. It's then blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel your best. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate. Removing cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, Earth Echo Foods has been a leader in the superfoods market and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. Use the code TRANSPARENT and receive 15% off your purchase today. Go to earthechofoods.com forward slash transparent with Tina. Okay, Steve. So you're a life coach now. Is, is it a life coach, peak performance coach? What do you call yourself? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what Business it is. Business coach, what do you call yourself? I would say predominantly business coach. If, if I had to put a, if I had to put a, um, I like to think of myself as a partner, but um, if I had to put a title on it, I was supposed to be business coach. Okay. And you know, you, you are, you've been quoted as saying, if there's no passion, there's no point. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. You got to have passion in what you're doing. A lot of people try to find the passion in what they're doing as a job. Okay. Well, if I did that, I'd be riding motorcycles every day and drinking whiskey and marry those two together. That would not be good. But that's what I'm passionate about. But what I, what I get out of my job, that makes me passionate. So you've got to have passion in your life. That's the greatest rocket fuel in the planet. So you've got to discover what point. You know, and once you know what the point is, if you've got a million dollars, 
Does that, does that help you? What's going to happen then? So you've got to focus on what's the point. Then you've got to move with direction to get to what's going to move the needle for you. And you've got to make sure that where you end up, you're a heap shit sack of passion. If, it's not, if you're not happy being there, you haven't arrived at the right place. Okay, so you said you were passionate about motorcycle riding and whiskey. So it sounds so you you what your career does is brings you to your passion where you can ride motorcycles and drink whiskey. But are you saying that whatever your career is, if you're not passionate about that, you're never going to be successful? Is that what I'm hearing? No. Some of us are blessed to have wonderful jobs. Okay. I can very, very easily say that I am blessed uh, mm. to have a wonderful job, which excites the pants out of me. But we threw it out earlier in one of the kind of drops that I worked with the Vatican. You could offer me 10 times what I got paid for that gig, and I wouldn't take it again. Right. Well, so then you are. You do, you do feel like you have to be passionate because you know what? I know money doesn't drive people. I, I tell my right. clients this all the time. It's what money can do for like as you're saying, so you can ride your motorcycles, but um, I, you know, you spend two thirds of your life in, you know, working right in your career. So if you're not passionate about that, then, you know, would you, is there any tips you could give in somebody that just has no idea what they want to do? Where do they start? Like where <laughs> do they start to find their purpose? Do you have any, any tips for that? Uh, I have I have one statement and then I have a tip. The statement is, don't stop looking, okay? You know, at every point of my life, in my 30s, I was like, all right, I've got it sus now. And then in the 40s, it suddenly started pivoting into more commercial and larger scale events. Now in my 50s, I'm an international author and a coach. I don't know what I'm going to be in my 60s. I love okay? that. I love so, that you said that. Yeah, so the first thing is, Never stop searching, okay? Because the, the next thing, where you are today is only the ladder run to get you to the next one, all right? Exactly. exactly. Enjoy the journey. <clears throat> How do you start that ladder? Okay, very easy. What do you do with a low ROE that you can sell? Say that now, again? Of, what do you have on a low ROE that you can sell. And let me explain it. R, what's an ROE? Excuse me. Uh, Tina, I'm going to give you that. All right? <laughs> you, know, you know what an ROI is, return on investment. Return on income, yes. Yeah, return on income, return on investment. Oh, interest, yeah, ROI, okay. yeah. Uh -huh. ROE is your return on effort and energy. Oh, okay. Oh, now, okay. You've got a lot of people, like, if, you, if you're an artist and you can sketch, okay, there's a lot of people that need logos for their business, for their Facebook, for their social feeds. So what you can do easy, you can now solve someone's problem by invoicing them. So mm -hmm. look at what you do that takes low energy from you, low effort. If you are a math genius and you can do someone's accounting, send up an invoice and outsource that problem to you via that checkbook, okay? So what can you do easy? Modeling, uh, singing, dancing, painting, decorating, cooking, whatever it is, 
what is one of your gifts that you can be damn sure is not somebody else's and then find that person and sell it to them? There you go. So that, so you don't have to necessarily find what your purpose, purpose is or what's, what sets you on fire from the beginning. It's nope. just starting the wheels going because when the money starts coming in, you're going to gain more confidence. You're going to have a better life. And then your, your, your whole world's going to open up with contacts and this and that. It's going to take the next level. And I just want to comment on that too. For I think for most people, they think that their career is a destination and, and they park it and they think that's what they're going to do the rest of their lives. I mean, for me, I'm open to the possibilities of what's next, what's next. And, you know, and I think that's why a lot of people get really dis- disgruntled is because they think, oh, I'm going to be in this job the rest of my life. Well, if that's the way you're going to look at it, or you could look at this as a stepping stone, right? You know, I you also said, on you. If, you, if you sit there and you go, I'm going to be in this job for the rest of my life, you're right. You're absolutely right. The right. I you commit to it, you're right. So tell people, hey, I'm here for now. Try saying that instead. Exactly. Exactly. The words are so important. I mean, when I have a client that says, I can't do this, or I've never been good at this, I have them say up until now, because you know, yep. your, your mind is always listening. You've said that imperfections are your perfections. What do you mean by that? How many people do you know that they want to do a job or they want to start a business? And the first thing they do is they start working out that business plan and they start planning for this this piece of perfection to be unleashed on the world, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, I hate to break it to you, folks, but perfection is a, a unicorn with three testicles. It doesn't exist, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you've got to do is you've got to get going, then get good, okay? Perfection does not exist. It's the constant strive. It's the constant aim. It's the constant goal. But as an entrepreneur... And I can, I can call you out on this. I guarantee you, as good as you are now, t- now Tina, the first interview you ever did live on a, like a Zoomy kind of thing, I bet you it was shit. Okay? <laughs> you probably burnt it so that no one could ever see it. Don't... I never used to watch them. Oh, there you I, go. I never watched them back. You yeah. see, the first time you do anything, yeah. it's shit. Tell yourself, as an entrepreneur... I have granted myself permission to be shit, but I can't be a diamond until I start off at step one. And that is the one that will make you cringe down the line. I remember someone said to me when I launched my podcast, and Jesus, I can talk forever. They said, all right, Steve, do 18 podcasts and then release 10 on the first day onto Apple. But do 18 first. So if there's a few that are a little bit off, now I, I, I get paid very handsomely to speak on stage. I coach. I thought, how could it be hard doing your podcast? It's a totally different skill set, okay? And I remember I whacked off 18 podcasts and I gave it to my, uh, my, uh, one of my people and I went, right, cut those up, listen to them, edit them, and then we're going to release 10. And she came back to me and she said, which 10 are we going to be releasing? I said, well, you've listened to all 18. You know, which ones would you release? One. (laughs) Out of of those 18, she said, look, 
She said, I have to save you from shooting the messenger. But if you let us load up 10, you're going to hate nine of them. She said, there's one that was really good. It was a friend of yours. You had a giggle. You were both out. She said, we liked that one. Right. She said, but the other 17 went on different gradients of painful. And so that was it. We canned all of those and carried on. And that's what you've got to... I will hereby, on video, on live recording, wire from my personal account, a million dollars. You can have it in Bitcoin, any way you like. If you can show me a business plan that was released in 2019 that said, we're going to be absolutely great for six months before we get shut down from an international pandemic, and then we're going to scramble for no... No one knows what's coming. So business plans, if they take any bigger than a, the back of a couple of postcards, you've gone too far. Because a business plan is a guide. It's a generalization. It's, hey, this is the direction. But like any good road trip, you take a few detours to hit that special diner. Right. It's all about taking the steps, taking the action, not being hard on ourselves, being patient with ourselves that, you know, we're all here. And, and you know, the other thing I was saying the other day, Steve, is, is so true because, you know, I, I uh, up until this point in my life, you know, and I'm 58, um, I was not enjoying the journey. It's the first no. time in my life that I'm enjoying the journey. I'm enjoying improving. I'm okay with, if it's not being perfect, I know I'm, I, I'm better than I was six months ago or three months ago. And I think everybody should really, really hear that loud and clear. Be patient of yourself because, you know, I used to be this person, if I didn't have the whole thing figured out from beginning to end, I wouldn't even begin it. And I think a lot of people are like that. So it's just like, take the first step, be open to opportunities that are in front of you. So um, t- let's talk about your book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Wow, that was a fun, fun little ride. Um, I was, you know, amazing things. I said to you earlier, amazing things happen when you're in the ride. And I was at a party up in New York. And at this party, um, I was talking to this girl and we were, you know, we were talking stories and telling stuff like that. And my wife was with me. And all of a sudden, this girl turned around and just batted. She just like bolted away from me like lightning. In fact, the guy next to her, saw her move at so much speed, kind of looked to me thinking, what have you said, fella? You know? And I was like, and I remember looking at my wife, Claire, going, well, something went wrong there. Did I say something? You know, does it, what did I say? And of course, I'd had a couple of old fashions by then. So I don't know what I had said that was inappropriate. But all of a sudden, she came back with her boss. What I wasn't aware of was that she was one of the editors at Simon & Schuster one of the largest publishing houses in America. She brought back one of the big dogs and went, Steve, tell them the story again about Andrea Bocelli in Florence. And so I was like, all right. So I did. And she said to me, she said, would you be willing to do a book naming all of the people that you've done business with and all the billionaires in the planet? And I said, if I did that, I'd be dead before I ordered my next old fashioned. So no. And that was it. And then I had a speaking engagement at an entrepreneur's event. Someone at Simon & Schuster, again, talk about, you know, luck, was at this event and reported to Simon Schuster, you should get hold of this Steve Sims guy. And they went, we met him last week. 
And they got talking and then they came back to me and they went, hang on a minute. We want to know how a bricklayer from London ends up working with Elon Musk. That's the book we want to write. And they paid me very, very well for it. I had Jay Abraham help, you know, hash out the contract. So I had some good people around me to make sure I get the extra few bits of blood out of that stone. Um, and I wrote the book now that I had been paid and it's very important. A lot of people will release a book to get paid. So they write the book to appeal to the masses because I was paid up front. You can write whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote the book that I wanted to write. I wanted people to get out of their own ways, stop thinking the stupid, complicated shit, start focusing on impact, start focusing on moving the needle, start focusing on ROEs, relationships. I, I puked up my book, my mentality, my thought. And I thought to myself, I hope someone reads it and changes because I'm 55, okay? And when you get to your 50s, you start going, I wish the world was a bit different, you know? Mm. I wish people wouldn't take themselves so seriously or I, I wish people wouldn't get so scared to me. You, you, yeah. Maturity is a beautiful thing. Oh, I love okay? it. And so I thought to myself, I wish people would start focusing on relationships over transactions. Yes, you know? so yes, yes. I, I did this book. I released it out into the planet and it stank. It, it did like 400 book sales in the first 400, okay? Mm. Which in the, in the world of abysmal sales and book releases, that's pretty high up there, you know? Especially when it's backed by a, a company like Simon & Schuster. Um, the second month, I think it was like 500 book sales, you know? I knew a friend of mine bought 100 books, so I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is appalling. And then the third month, 8,000. And it just took off. And now it's been released in China, uh, Taiwan, Korea, Vietnam, Australia, uh, Poland. It's sold out of all of its printed copies in two hours. And I think in April, it just got released in Russia. So... It just took off and people started reacting. So that's when I started speaking more around the world. I started coaching. I'd launched Sims Distillery, which is my inner circle, and something for free, an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. That's my free Facebook group where I just go and rant on, hey, this worked for me, try it, or this blows chunks. I hate this. Can you tell me how to make it work or why should I? So that's why I have my discussions. And it just, I now have a platform and an audience that I can hopefully get a bit more uncomfortable to challenge themselves to do something a little bit more different. Exactly, exactly. You've got to be uncomfortable to move forward. The name of the Facebook group again, is, is it just your name, Steve? Steve Sims Facebook group or is it? No, it's an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. Okay, entrepreneurs totally, advantage. Totally free. No funnels, no sales pitch, no hair products, nothing. Right. <laughs> okay, and so you're coaching, you're taking on new clients, and I you are no nonsense coach. Yeah. And I and I did read in your uh, on your website, if you want it, things sugar coated. I'm the same way. It's like give it to me direct. You know, I mean. You know, this is not for the weak of heart, but I'm sure that you probably move the needle with your clients very quickly because of your approach. 
We have to, don't you? I, the, the thing about coaching is coaching's become... No, you don't have to. There's a lot of coaches that, you There's know... A, yeah, well, look, they're not, our, yeah. they're not our people, Tina, are they? You know, let's be serious. I, the way I look at it, for start, I have no contract on my coaching. Yes. And I say, I say to people, look, the second I stop becoming an asset and I become an invoice... Get rid of me. That's, that's the end of the deal, you yeah. know? Yeah. But I, I'm there to be an asset. I'm there to challenge you. I'm there to push you. I'm there to grow. You've got to do the work, but I am going to push you, and I'm going to be there staring at you while you do it. Steve, there is one thing I know about the, about the contract, because, you know, you are asking people to get uncomfortable and do, like, a lot of work, okay? And if you don't have them commit to, let's say, three months, um. Is it, do you find that it's too easy for them to exit after the first month because it's all of a sudden it gets a little bit to be a little bit too hard? Whereas if they've committed, they've put the money there, then by the third month, that's what I, when I was life coaching, that's what I used to do. By the third month, they've already gone through it. They're going to, they're going to show up because they've already paid. But you know what? After the first month, they can, you know, you can make a thousand reasons in your head. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. This isn't, how about this isn't working? How's it going to work in a month? You know, you're right. Uh, you are you are very right, Tina. You know, we should we should turn around and go, hey, we don't have a contract, but we do have a three-month minimum. You know, you are right. I just never have. I've just always turned around and gone, look, it's going to get you scary. You're going to come up with excuses. I'm going to call you bullshit. Yeah, but I um, know. But if, the, if those triggers, as we were talking about before, if those triggers are really strong, most people are going to find a reason to get out. So, Steve... True, but they never a, have. That's, a, never that's have. a freebie for you. But I haven't lost a single client um, in, in a month. Never. Okay. I've got some project clients that go, hey, I'm launching a book. We're going to need you for four months. And I've ended up doing six months. And we've come to the end of the project. Right. You know, I've done product launches. I've done different things for different people. But um, I've never lost a client after a month. Never have. Okay. Well, you don't need the freebie then. <laughs> All right. And tell us the name of your podcast. The Art of Making Things Happen with Steve Sims. It's very easy. That's the name of his book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And that's the name of his podcast as well. It's been such a pleasure, Steve. I could be talking to you all day, but I know you've got other things to do. You know, I don't, I don't know who you're seeing tonight, but say hi for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got it. I said to you earlier, I, I used a little example of having the dinner with you. We got to make that happen one day. I swear, oh. there's some stories and some fun that could be had that night. Absolutely. Where are you? Where are you? Uh, where are you uh, located? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, you are. Okay, so that's not too far away. Actually, I'm moving to Newport next Monday. Oh, where are you? Where are you now? I'm in Palm Desert, which is still not uh, that far. Yeah, yeah it's so. not Newport. You're just down the road. I'll jump on the bike and ride down. That. Oh, there you go on the bike. Perfect. All right. Well, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for watching and tuning in. If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, it's Tina Marks TV. And, of course, my podcast, you know what it's called because you're watching it. We will see you next week.